definitely human. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Welcome to Back to Earth, a podcast about roots. I'm Charlie May. This is episode 60. It's winter. And later I'm going to Snowdrop Valley to see the first flowers of spring sort of coming up or winter anyway. But first I need to do some farm jobs. Uh, I need to take the tractor out. Haven't done that for a few months. Hopefully I still remember what I'm doing. Um, I need to hook up the topper and cut the grass ready for the new season and spring on the horizon. So I'm just up in the farmyard. It's a very cold beast from the east type march again, just like we had when we were planting the little whips in the vineyard a few years ago. A few years ago, a year ago, two years ago, I'm losing track of time. I've been very busy preparing for the pumpkin patch um, come October. So I've been ordering seeds. Um, it's been really fun, actually, sort of uh, trailing through the catalogues of all the kind of little warty gourds and, you know, big white polar bear pumpkins and the big orange ones. We're going to order a packet of about, oh, I hope it's not too windy, let me hide. <laughs> We're going to order a packet of sort of 10 to 15 of the absolutely giant pumpkins um, that get to be like 400 kilograms. This is not for the sale. You know, nobody would be able to buy it. But yeah, it's just to have a bit of fun in the patch to have these really big pumpkins that just look otherworldly. I was quite shocked when I found out how many seeds I need to have per acre. We're doing about three acres for the pumpkin patch and they said 5,000 seeds per acre. Each seed probably gives like, you know, two or three pumpkins or something. So yeah, we're talking about a lot of pumpkins for year one. Um, I mean, I suppose we'll need a lot of pumpkins to do sort of decorations. We're going to get hay bales and, you know, have lots of sort of Instagram moments dotted around. I'm planning on dividing the field into three sections. So the first quarter one to two acres will be a car park the middle bit will be a pumpkin patch um, which we will then later cut sort of paths into so that people can walk around because I think we've got to go around chopping the pumpkins off anyway so that they stop growing so then we'll throw the pumpkins into the middle and then chop a path with the tractor and then the very end quarter, which we're going to do about four acres, is a maize maze or maize amazing maze, which will be fun. So um, I have been also designing the maze on the computer, a spooky maze. Um, I've done a spider web, basically. So there's one telegraph pole in the middle of the field. And my plan is to have the middle of the maze at the telegraph pole. So I can probably hang some, you know, spider webs at a big spider off of the telegraph pole. So yeah, really excited about that. I hope that... It grows well this year. I hope that it's nice and tall. I was a little bit worried that by the end of um, October, you know, are the badgers going to come in and raid the maze or are we going to get rooks sort of dive bombing to try and get the cobs off, um, which we have had in the past with late harvests. But mum thinks it will be a bit early for that and we should be okay. 
fingers crossed. <laughs> I mean, it is very horror, isn't it? Having all these blackbirds dive bombing. Um, it's very the birds, Hitchcock. But yeah, hopefully we will be able to avoid all of that. You hear the little cat meow next to my legs. Are you going to be around at the pumpkin patch, eh? Meow. Um, so we've been doing soil sampling, getting all that ready, and we did put some digestate on the field. And so the soil sample came back and said that we really don't need much. I think it's low in sulphur. Just giving us some treats. I'm going to find out from the agronomist whether they really think sulphur is necessary for pumpkins. Basically, I'm trying to make it as low input as possible, cost-wise. Um, already having ploughed it, put the digestate on it, ordering the seeds, um, and then it's going to have to be rolled, reworked. Obviously, the seeds are going to have to be planted, and then a lot of weed killing. It's going to be a lot of work pulling up uh, weeds, you know, big, the same thing I had in the vineyard last time, you know, big fat hen, giant weeds. Um, yeah, just trying to keep it looking nice, I think will be difficult and trying not to hurt the pumpkins. But yeah, I'm super excited. I already can't wait for it to be Halloween, even though it's only March. I'm wishing the year away. <laughs> I had a meeting this week with a really lovely lady, Sam, that does North Devon hog roasts. And she got me so excited for the wedding venue that I sort of started um, last year. I created a website. I put it on Google, called it Foxall Weddings. You know, I had some amazing pictures taken with my cousin's drone, you know, up when it was in Bali and it looked absolutely beautiful. But we ran into a couple of snags that I didn't really consider, like you can't have a licensed wedding venue in the middle of a field. You have to have a building or structure which is permanent. We wouldn't want to have something permanent there because obviously we use it for silage, we use it for crops, we use it for all kinds of different things. Um, and I was hoping that the government were going to change their approach last year, but then they made it so that you could get married outside in a, in a field but it needed to be within 30 metres or so of the actual wedding venue that was licensed. So that was, you know, easy come, easy go. That was not, that didn't work out for us. So at the moment, all we essentially have is a reception venue, you know, that people could come to after they get married somewhere else. You know, in the future, I'll be able to offer, you know, we'll do, we'll have like a wine tasting renovation here back at the farm. Hopefully, you know, that'll look great. People can do things in the vineyard. People can go back to the field and do a marquee. There'll be multiple things to do. But um, Sam that's moved down to Devon recently and done um, started up hog roast, you know, her whole business is in weddings. And she was imparting on me just how important it is to go to local wedding fairs, you know, things like that. I just hadn't even considered that was necessary for us. Um, I think it's only 10 or 20 pounds to participate in one of these wedding fairs. So it's not much, but I suppose you need to have leaflets, you need to have business cards, you need to have, you know, a background um, printout, you know, there's lots of kind of material that you need to gather um, and then you go to all these wedding fairs and you meet, you know, couples that have just got engaged. But yeah, I think I'm just at a point where, you know, when I started this podcast, you know, I was saying to you guys that, you know, I had so many ideas and I've got so many different things I want to do. And there's so many business opportunities on the farm that I'm just wanting to get my teeth stuck into. But now I'm at the stage where I've put a few into action and I really need to give the businesses that I've started my full attention in order to get them off the ground and to get them running. You know, I'm still at a point where I'm having to do everything myself, albeit with mum and David's help. But, you know, we're not at a stage yet where we can hire anybody in to assist. So I, <laughs> I'm the kind of person where I want to do everything all at once and I get super, super excited. Mum's always trying to hold me back and <laughs> just say, you know, why don't you give this through your time? And I think now, yeah, I've realised I really do just need to 
hang back. You know, I don't need to do everything all at once. I've got years to, you know, do all these other ideas. But at the moment, the vineyard, I think, takes sort of key precedent with all the money we've invested in it. Um, and then the pumpkin patch as well would just be a fun little extra thing. So, yeah, it's interesting. All these, yeah, coming up with all these like business ideas and then trying to think what to actually put into practice and not to overexhaust my energy, overexhaust my um my potential within a working day within a working week i mean you know even this podcast i used to do it weekly and now i'm having to do it monthly because i just don't have the time being a farm manager and having to look after all this land as well i don't know i kind of feel like i'm being pulled in multiple directions but i'm still very excited um with where it's all going anyway i'm babbling in the farmyard i am about to get back into the tractor um and go out i need to top the fields ready for the new season to begin, um, just take the heads off of the grass. Even though it's really, really cold, I'm going to cut it long and just, I guess, allow over the next month the worms to pull it in and the grass, everything will be looking nice and neat. So oh, hopefully I remember how to drive the thing. And the keys. Is that the key? Oh God, I don't even remember what the keys look like. <laughs> There they are. Okay, we've got blue keys, we've got red keys. I don't know what the blue keys are for. There we go. I've just been looking at my notes app on my phone of all the buttons and stuff inside the tractor and what they do because I've totally forgotten, I'm sure. Okay, guys, wish me luck out there. Hopefully I remember what I'm doing. There we go. <laughs> so spring feels as if it's on the horizon and I thought what better time to get off the farm, get out and see some nature and do a bit of countryside walking. So David and I find ourselves on Exmoor. We're here to see Snowdrop Valley. It is a piece of private land which is opened every year um, to the public, basically, to see. It's supposed to be an absolute wonder, like a carpet of white flowers. It's going to be very, very pretty. I don't think I've been since I was a child. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see it. It's a sunny but very cold, brusque day. Mum came last week with some friends and said, I'm not doing that again because the walk was too, too hardcore. Um, so yes, I'm here with David instead of pulled David along with me. There's usually a complimentary kind of bus service, which for some reason this year there isn't. So you've got to walk from the cattle market car park to the valley, which I think is about a 35 minute walk or so, um, down a very steep muddy hill. And then you can opt for the short, medium or long walk. So I said very quickly, the short walk, please. I think the long walk can take anywhere from sort of one and a half to two hours. Uh, so three hours total. Um, so yeah, we were thinking short walk and finish at the pub. But we're walking through a very pretty uh, woodland on a muddy track, following the arrows to get down to Snowdrop Valley. Oh, there's a horse. Morning. Morning. Thank you. Gorgeous. Look like an small pony. This is handy, isn't it? What? The gate? The yeah. gate that leads to nothing? <laughs> We've come to a fork in the road. There is a very sheer drop on one side with lots of trees growing up and then a little sort of river at the bottom. Um, but there is a gate with a brand new sign saying no right of way. It just looks like the gate leads to the drop, right? <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, maybe it's more to protect people from like sort of stumbling down. There's no fence over there or (laughs) over there. Here specifically, you are safe. I mean, I'm concerned. I'm so clumsy. I'm going to like trip over and fall all the way down the ravine. Oh, it's a nice day though. Nice and brisk for a countryside walk or hike. This is kind of similar to when we did the walk on like tar steps on Exmoor and you've got the thing to see and then you go around, you can choose which kind of length walk to do. It's kind of like our version of a hike or a woodland trail. This is what passes for fun in the countryside. Yeah. (laughs) Just walking around. It's so pretty though. And especially at this time of year, when everything's just sort of coming out of winter, there's lots of green shoots on the ground coming up through all the dead leaves. I don't know. The winter's always quite bleak in the countryside. Everything just dies. I don't know. The trees are all so bare. So when spring is springing, you really appreciate it. How is this different to anywhere else in the countryside? It's just trees and hills. Yeah, but it's different trees and hills, isn't it? There's things to see. We haven't got there yet, but it's going to be an absolute sea of snowdrops and it's going to be incredible. Your jaw is going to be on the floor. Okay, I look forward to that. (laughs) It's just a nice arrow stapled into a tree. Is it just on paper? Laminated It's it's laminated. (laughs) No expense spared. Ooh, smell of fox. It's very ancient sort of woodland. All the trees are so covered in moss. A lot of them look like they've fallen down. Probably from the storms last year, but they've just been left kind of rot into the ground, which is good for all the little beetles. Fluffy. <laughs> I just stroke to the woodland floor that's covered in a kind of fluffy star-like moss. I just love all the textures. It's kind of the dusty browns and greens, and then all the fluffy mosses and crispy leaves. You've got to appreciate the little things, David. I see what you're saying. Lower your expectations. (laughs) Yeah, lower them way down. Oh, wow, look. We're just coming upon what's the beginnings of Snowdrop Valley. Isn't it beautiful? Get off this mud track. Please keep to the footpath and keep dogs on the lead. North Hawkwell Wood, Snowdrop Valley. Access to this privately owned valley is kindly granted by the Badgeworthy Land Company, who welcome you here. For years, this was a secret known only to locals. Well, not anymore. Now it's on back to earth. <laughs> As you walk around the circular path, you will pass the site of the sawmill. Once powered by the River Avil, the course of the water channel, or Leet, can still be seen. A steam engine provided power in dry summers. Wow. I'm guessing we literally just do this path and then back again. So we've just started the walk and there is an absolute carpet of white snowdrops all up the valley on the left hand side, all in front of us. And there's a little stream running through or a river. It's a bit more than a stream. And then more snowdrops running up the other side. It's so pretty. If you don't know what a snowdrop is, I'll picture it for you. It's a very delicate green stem plant with a white flower on top that kind of shoots up like an arrow. It's got a little green cap on the very top and then it's got how many and it's got three petals that open up kind of like a little umbrella so i think the way that it's angled helps push it through the snow which is where it gets its name from little snow piercer their latin name is galanthus or milk flower are you ready david for some snowdrop facts yes beside myself with excitement i bet you are (laughs) 
Legend has it that snowdrops arrived in Britain with the Benedictine monks in the 11th century. Snowdrops were first planted here in the 13th century as a symbol of Candlemas, the feast day in early February in celebration of the purification of the Virgin Mary. Cute. (laughs) So the monks all planted them here. And I guess they've just, yeah, got more and more over the years. Snowdrops are not native to the British Isles. They're actually from Southern Europe. They only came to Britain in the late 16th century and it took them almost 200 years to become a wild plant. Probably helped by humans moving them about because they're so pretty. Their bulbs are a source of the alkaloid galanthamine, which can help manage Alzheimer's. But probably leave it to the professionals because it's also very poisonous. Don't try and eat it. There are more than 2,500 varieties of snowdrop. These clever plants have their own built-in antifreeze, which stops them from being damaged by frost. And you're just remembering all these off the top of your head. (laughs) Yeah, it's not like I'm reading them at all from some pre-made notes on my phone uh, when I researched it this morning. Some believe snowdrops hang their heads because they are shy. In reality, their dusty pollen can only attract winter insects if kept dry, which, of course, why are you shaking your head? Who believes that? I don't know. Some people. Yeah, some people think they're just shy. Some people think the flowers are shy, and that's why they bow their heads. Yeah. (laughs) Hmm. According to one legend, the snowdrop dates back to the Garden of Eden. After God banished Adam and Eve, Eve grew tired of the endless winters. Eve was weeping in her barren garden after the fall of man, when an angel comforted her by blowing onto a snowflake and turning it into a snowdrop. She proved to Eve that winter doesn't last forever. They came to symbolise hope as the first flowers to appear after the snows of winter. This sounds less like a fact and more like what someone's aunt wrote on a Facebook page. (laughs) I saw it in more than one place. It is a believed... No. No! (laughs) No, it isn't. This is nonsense. For many Victorians, a single snowdrop signified death and they considered it bad luck to bring it into the home. This could be, in part, due to the bulb of a snowdrop being highly poisonous if eaten. Their resemblance to a shroud meant just touching one brought bad luck. It was said that bringing one inside meant you'd get thin milk and colourless butter. That explains why they've cordoned it off with these uh, ropes. The snowdrops are considered to be so dangerous... We have to walk on the muddy path whilst the splendour of the white carpet beside us lays untouched. So what you're saying is you would rather walk all over the snow Yeah, I think they'd be like a nice carpet to trample on. Considering there's over, what was it, 1,200 varieties of snowdrop, these all look like the same kind of snowdrop. They've got very open heads, whereas ours in the garden at home are quite closed. Wait, you've got them at home? (laughs) Why'd we come all this way? (laughs) We've only got a small clump. We had to clump. sit in the car for nearly an hour. Yeah, but we've got only a small clump at home. This is, look at the majesty, look at the splendour. just looks like it's been copy and pasted. <laughs> look, I didn't tell you because I knew you wouldn't want to come. Right. Mum already bailed on me. <laughs> I needed a wingman. Well, my jaw remains firmly fixed to my <laughs> head. Can you get a picture? It's so pretty. Well, there you have it. Thus concludes our Snowdrop Valley woodland walk. What majesty, what wonder, what delights did you witness here today? Saw some flowers. <laughs> yes, millions. I think there probably are millions of snowdrops. Another interesting fact about snowdrops is once you've seen one, you've seen them all. <laughs> 
Another fantastic day out in the countryside, loved by all. I wonder what woodland walks I can trick David into going to next. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at Back to Earth Podcast, on Twitter at Back to Earth Pod, and on TikTok at Back to Earth Charlie. Music is by John Day, artwork is by Eric Chow, and this episode was edited by David Knight. Thank you guys, and of course, thank you for listening. If you want to support Back to Earth, you can rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And check us out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash definitely human. Back to Earth is a definitely human production. Okay, bye.